Boom. Good morning, everybody. Today is Sunday, September 12th, 2021, and you are watching or listening to another edition of Forward Maryland. I'm Bill Woodcock. And I'm Steve Hunt. Good morning, everybody. And I am happy to announce that we have another host in the house today. Please identify yourself, handsome stranger. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. It's Jason Booms. Coming back again just to just to visit the old crew and uh, to see what's going been going on these past few months. Woohoo! Woohoo! <laughs> hey, much jocularity is in the house. Welcome back. <laughs> yeah, that's Jason Boob's music. <laughs> may, may I say, may I say that microphone is looking bigger than ever. <laughs> I was trying to get the one to cover the face, like when those V for Vendetta masks, but I, I couldn't get a. Couldn't find a condenser model. Oh, the V for Vendetta mask with the built-in microphone. I mean, you know, maybe for Halloween. <laughs> maybe you can check those out. Uh, anyway, we have two topics in a what will be slightly shorter show this time because, Steve, by the end of that last show, I loved it, but I was ready to never do a podcast again. Dude, I'm still tired. <laughs> I think we haven't. I think we haven't actually finished the last podcast. I think yeah. we, you know we're still going somewhere. But anyway, we have two and count them two topics for you. The first being, of course, the 20th anniversary of 9/11. Um, there has been a lot of of um, commemoration of the event. Of course, you're going to get much, much more for a 20th anniversary than for, say, the 19th anniversary or the 21st anniversary will get. And in part, it's augmented by the recent developments in Afghanistan with the U.S. Uh, ending its involvement there, I will say for now. Um, but also, um, there has been a lot written drawing parallels to the events of 9-11 and the rise of the divisiveness in our country, especially amongst uh, political lines and with the radicalization of many individuals' thoughts in this country, especially on the far right. I'm going to throw this out to Jason first. Give the, give the, give, give the, give the guy groove one right down the middle to start off with. <laughs> uh, where, where, do you, where do you land on this, Jason? What are, what are your thoughts about about how 9-11 has changed us 20 years later. Well, I mean, I think one of the things we all need to think about is, or at least reminisce upon to a certain extent is how in fact it you know, changed us on a very personal level. Because I think all of us at this point can say exactly where we were when we found out what was going on on 9-11. I remember the last person I smiled to that morning before I turned a corner and saw a television and saw what was going on. Uh, so it, it was transformative and definitely on a very emotional level as far as the policy level is concerned. Uh, you know, I would probably go back further than the 9-11 as far as the divisiveness is concerned, as, as I was saying right before the show. Uh, I think what happened in the 2000 election was definitely a, a milestone event as far as uh, the deterioration of, of what we consider to be a sort of rational political discourse and you know, the general drift of history from, you know, I guess the New Deal on. Uh, so seeing that sort of uh, corrosion happening, it, it was very easy within that context to see why America would take the actions it did following 9-11. Uh, and by that, I mean going into Iraq. I mean, not 
waging a different kind of war, uh, you know, not doing a better job of, of gaining international allies and sort of, you know, us and the Brits and my apologies to anyone else I might be forgetting as part of that coalition. Uh, so it was <laughs> traumatic on a personal level for many people, but also I think for the country as far as, you know, um, if you take a look at like Paul John, was it Paul Johnson speaking about the end of, or Fukuyama and the end of history? Uh, I think that started where we started seeing the further deterioration of, of the consensus that we'd been operating off of since World War II. And, um, and to that regard, I don't, I don't think we've ever really recovered from that. Frankly, we're getting far, far worse. <laughs> but I think as a result of what happened on, in, with 9-11, with Iraq and Afghanistan, that brought us to the world in which we exist today. Uh, you know, where we're still seeing, uh, again, the radicalization. I know in DC, we're supposed to have an event on September the 18th with some far right lunatics coming into town. Uh, so it, it's, you know, I, I'm not going to say they're directly related in terms of having a causal effect, but it, it is, it is nonetheless disturbing that we somehow had found ourselves in this timeline. Very well said. As Louis Nye would say, hi ho, Steve Arino. What are your uh, thoughts? I uh, well, as far as 9-11, like Jason, I, it's very vivid in my memory. And, uh, you know, I won't go into all the stories I could tell, uh, but same emotions, uh, shock, you know, just the idea that this could happen. Um, you know, if you if you look at uh, the, the movie um, Flight 93, which uh, walks through that whole ordeal of the plane that was crashed in Shanksville and how easy it was for the, the terrorists to get the necessary tools onto that plane on their carry-on luggage or in their carry-on luggage to to pull this off and you know it's hard to imagine you could even you know I, I was on a flight one time accidentally had a corkscrew uh from a wine bottle in my uh carry-on and they yanked it um you know so it's just hard to imagine how the world has changed little things like that at the airport if you're a traveler um but a lot of memories the way the news unfolded that day is one of the things that fascinates me because there was no social media you know there were no smartphones i think i was still rocking a nextel <laughs> at that point in time and you know as people have said on tv you know the first thought was a small plane accidentally ran into the world trade center which you know how how could that happen how could you not miss something that big and then obviously the rest of the day unfolded so anyway a lot of memories um that, that get brought back um, from that day. And, and just, uh, again, a lot of emotions that I want, you know, we can do a whole show on, on just walking through how we all felt that day and, and in subsequent days. As far as the politics, um, I, I would have to go, you know, Jason went earlier than 9-11, I would as well. And I'll give you one word that gives you a pretty good clue, feminazi. That would be one of the popular terms by one late, far from great Rush Limbaugh on his program in the 90s. Um, I believe it's Steve Karnacki from MSNBC. Uh, it's somebody that has a book called The Red and the Blue that really talks about how things became so tribal in the 90s. And you know, we all are, are of an age that we were there when it was you know, Rush Limbaugh and then the descendants and the Rush Limbaugh tree, I guess you will call it, uh, that came from there. Uh, really, I, I would say you could maybe point to the Reagan years. It certainly got amped up during the Clinton years and the far right and everything from Whitewater to Paula Jones to Monica Lewinsky. I mean, it, that whole conservative entertainment complex was born really in the 90s. So, uh, yeah, I think 9-11 maybe took it to another level. Certainly the, the wars, whatever you think of them, um, added to the conversation. Um, you know, certainly Florida. 
uh, and the election of 2000. So, uh, yeah, I would not pin this on 9-11. It was a contributing factor. It certainly took things in other directions. But um, the, the smoke was already there uh, that became the fire that led us to where we are today uh, Steve, before 9-11. I would say you raise a really great point. Uh, and uh, I was just thinking about, you know, at the time, you think about where the Republicans were in the 70s, they were in a permanent minority. Uh, you know, they, they had some, you know, quote unquote, bomb throwers and, and, and the likes of these up and coming young congressmen such as Newt Gingrich of Georgia. Yep. Uh, but, you know, they really needed to find ways to get into the, the popular culture. And in that regard, I mean, beyond, you, you could argue those like 700 club shows with Pat Robertson and his politics. Yep. But, you know, Richard Viguerie, which is a big fundraiser for the new right and those folks realizing we can raise all this money, but unless we get our ideas out there, it's going to be a problem. So in that way, you're absolutely dead right. I think Rush was one of the first real popularizers of that real hard right wing point of view. And that definitely led to, uh, I yeah, I agree with uh, the direction of the Republican Party that it took in the rest of the 90s. Well, well, I, I thank both of you for your comments. I'm going to pick up on your point, Jason, and not put it down because... My, my seminal event was uh, when I opened the, when our family got the TV guide one uh, Friday evening or one Friday mail run. And I, I opened up the TV guide and on the inside of the front cover, thank you, Walter Annenberg, was the 10 step contract with America from the <laughs> Republican Party to the American people. You know, to, to your points, to your point, Jason, I mean, the Republican Party was exactly where it was. There are some who say, well, Reagan's demonization of the L word, you know, may have started all this. I'm not so sure because that still begat four years of Bush, which was less right than Reagan, although maybe not much. And then it still begat eight years of Clinton, which was more of a, a, a center left experiment. And, you know, most of the Clinton agenda uh, you know, for for hard liberal, you know, activists was was just was unpalatable, but it was a more moderate themed agenda, and so here comes this coterie of of right wingers saying, no, this is this is socialized medicine. This is the government telling you what to do. This is not the era of big government is over. You know, we're going to have these things. And what was it? I, I think maybe exactly one of those 10 items ever actually became a law, uh, were ever actually enacted, but they all sounded good. And so that to me was the first episode that I can remember in my political lifetime of Truth be damned, we're just going to say whatever the fuck. Oh, pardon my language. But, but you know, and of course, that's always been part of politics, but the blatancy and the, and the unflinchingness of it. And then, Steve, and both of you guys, I completely agree. Everything that followed, certainly Clinton caused a lot of his own mistakes, but the Monica stuff, the Whitewater stuff, Vince Foster, all these other things that led itself to, to suspicion. Uh, we still were, I think, short of conspiracy theory territory, uh, although there were like the Vince Foster was murdered goofballs, the Round Brown was murdered goofballs, until we got to 9-11. And, and of course, and the Florida election didn't help either. Um, you know, I, I, I read, so I'm not sure 
I believe that 9-11 caused this latest, this latest, uh, you know, schism as to where we are in American politics, which has now grown very wide. Uh, but I do believe it was a catalyst. Uh, what I reject, and I'm unfortunate, I unhappily say this, was is a comment in a column in today's New York Times that consider 9-11 and January 6th bookends. Um, I do not consider them bookends. I consider them uh, steps on a continuum. And, you know, because we do not have a exit strategy of how to get out of this. I understand the current administration is trying. I understand the current administration, you know, part of the whole, you know, existential threat, fight for the soul of the nation rhetoric is because of all of this that's going on. But I, I, whereas I can see some steps that have slowed all this nonsense, and, you know, I mean, Trump's whole going off last week about Robert E. Lee would have won the Civil War in a day had he been a Union general. And and he was the best, you know, uh, military strategist at, that the country has ever produced. All that nonsense. Thank God that didn't get a lot of coverage, nor did his uh, announcing at the Evander Holyfield fight last night. Dude's 58, by the way. Uh, you know, get any, get much play. I still don't think that, you know, I still consider that gap as widening rather than closing. So I, I'm just afraid for what's to come, you know, maybe this 918 event and others. Yeah, you raise a good point. And, and, and you can look at the line of, of right-wing terrorism, you know, I mean, you can go very far back on that. But just think of the 90s, I mean, you had the Michigan militia, for example, you had what happened in, in, in the in Oklahoma City, uh, and, and that those people haven't gone away. I remember one particularly scary meeting. I actually uh, had to go present some poll data uh, on behalf of my my boss in, in the circle of politics I was traveling in at the time. And we gave a you know so I delivered the uh, the results, and this guy came up to me afterwards and gave me his business card. And there was a there was an insignia that I knew, but I couldn't quite place what it was. It was like three sevens in a circle. And I looked it up and I'm like, oh, shit, this is a National Alliance guy that was, I mean, just, you know, serious, hard right wing intermingled with all these other just general, you know, generic brand conservatives. And, and these folks are around. They're dangerous. And, uh, and I don't think any of us are saying that um, that that directly led to 9-11, given, you know, <laughs> who struck us on that day. But I think we can all agree, hopefully. That, that Gore, had he been elected, would have waged a smarter campaign, would have been less divisive, would have, would have had far more international consensus behind it rather than this sort of flying off the handle. And then especially the reaction in 2002 with the Republicans, they slammed a ton of folks. Uh, just, you know, I'm thinking of a former Senator Max Cleland uh, down in Georgia, war hero, lost three limbs in Vietnam. But just went brutal if, uh, if they didn't vote, you know, the, the way the Republicans wanted them to vote. And the Republicans, of course, were originally against the Department of Homeland Security. Right. So it's it, the, the hypocrisy really took it to a whole new level and the ugliness. Max Cleland was un-American. Remember yeah. that? How how is what? How is how is that man un-American? And 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 no, I, I agree with everything. And no, clearly a Gore administration would have prosecuted this war. We would have had a, a true coalition of the willing, you know, not uh, 40 uh, military advisors from Poland 
uh, counting as as part of the as part of it. And you would have seen it prosecuted, I think, uh, as as an actual uh, world war, uh, not necessarily a hot war. One one thought fought through uh, intelligence and a lot of covert means. And I'm sure it's being fought that way now. Um, you know, in many ways that we don't even see. But I, I think it would have been done smarter, more efficiently, and, uh, you know, with, certainly without the grandstanding. And let's not forget the personal family hubris of, you know, that man tried to kill my dad. Yeah, and, and I would agree with that. And, and you know, it's interesting, you know, um, I don't know if any, either of you saw the, the speech that George W. Bush made from uh, Shanksville yesterday. It was It was a very good speech as uh, one individual said that's on Twitter. He clearly has a very good speech writer and, and he made some really good points about, um, and he did connect 9-11 to 1-6. Um, I, I would say that the, for those who are, you know, trying to canonize George W. Bush, you know, this is the same guy who, you know, not only did his party go after Max Cleland, uh, look what he did to John McCain in the um, primaries in 2000 and some of the accusations in South Carolina. So, you know, before we rush to, uh, you know, put the guy on Mount Rushmore for, you know, having nine good minutes. Let's let's remember all of that. And and I agree that a Gore presidency would have been radically different. And 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 what happened in 2002 with Mass Cleland, you know, obviously the swift voters that carried on into 04 with John Kerry. Um, so so I, I would, you know, let's put the we could give credit for a good speech, but not let's not get carried away here, folks. Um, well, you know. well, 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 it's not, let's not turn a bit of Jimmy Carter yet. Okay. Well, it, it's funny that it's funny that you wind up on that note, Steve, because that transition is quite deftly into, into a, a, a matter of, of, of local import for us uh, from the, also from the files of, let, let's not let's not lionize this individual because they're not as bad as they could be. Uh, it looks like what was reported on this very podcast in its last episode has come to pass. As a week ago today, uh, former county executive Alan Kittleman has uh, announced his intention to uh, win his old job back and immediately becomes the front front runner for the Republican nomination for Howard County Executive. Um, very interesting timing over the Labor Day weekend. I mean, I, I personally feel it was set for social media impact, given that the local Democratic Party uh, normally has a major media event on Monday with their Labor Day picnic. Um, I, I noticed yesterday that, that Mr. Kittleman was out with the, uh, uh, the Indian Cultural Association of Howard County at their annual picnic doing things. Uh, you know, they've been a, a uh, staunch opponent of uh, uh, ball stances on school redistricting and on and on many um, initiatives that the uh, current local administration has put forth. Uh, and, and they're also their organization also happens to be afraid of, of a very, very shortened stature, former school board members and and uh, has a, you know, and, and has a guy who's in the leadership of that organization who, you know, jumps over the line between left and right so many times, his nickname himself should be Corkscrew. Um, so, 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 but I'm not naming names because, you know, 
so what what make you of this? Um, I saw some local punditry that said this looks like Bob Ehrlich in 2010. Uh, you know, let's just put this up and 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 fall on the sword. Uh, that's assuming Bob Ehrlich didn't try to didn't try to retake the governor's mansion in 2010, which I'm pretty sure he did. Uh, and um, I uh, I don't know, but I I as I said on another local blogger's Twitter, um, underestimate this man at your peril. Steve-O, back to you. Um, well, yeah, um, I'm, I'm still surprised, even though there was a lot of talk about it. By the way, your, your person that you're referring to not naming, uh, if I'm thinking of the correct person, had a long and lengthy Facebook post this morning regarding uh, certain recent appointments that were confirmed by the county council. Um, oh, yay, they were. Woohoo! Hey, I guessed right without naming a name. How about that? Yeah. Um, you know, uh -huh. I, I'm, I'm glad we have Jason on the program because, you know, you know, you're, you're our, our resident numbers guy, analytics guy. Um, you know, I, I'm still surprised that, you know, that the former and wanting to be future county executive is in this thing. Um, he did not for the past few years appear to be as somebody who had any interest in it. He seemed to be, you know, he was in the Hogan administration. He was doing this thing about uh, redistricting. I believe he was involved in the Rouse project, if, if I'm correct. There. For a while. For yeah, a while. He was there for a minute. So it, it just seemed like, you know, you know, similar to, say, former county executive Ken Ullman, it, it seemed like he had moved on. Um, I was looking to see him possibly run for governor or be on a ticket. Um, you know, I, I just did not see him getting in. I didn't see the case for it. It wasn't like, you know, he ran and he didn't win and he had like this you know, Bernie desire to be county executive, he was county executive and, and he won. He didn't beat a slouch, he beat Courtney Watson. So certainly a, a, a extra accomplishment there for, for pulling that one off. By all accounts, he and he and county executive Ball had a good relationship. You know, very famously, he went to Kaylor Hall at the Democrat Party, uh, the watch party and had a moment with, with uh, then Councilman Ball. So, th so there wasn't a okay, I want another piece of that guy because I can't stand him from 2018. So I just never got why he would do this in a county that is changing. Um, you know, he he lost, I think it was like by five points, short of six points, give or take. And I just keep asking myself the question, you know, I think he was at 47.1, I believe was his final number. Um, where are you going to get the other three points from in a county that is different in 22 or will be and, and continues to be than it was in 18. And you know, with that, I turn it over to Jason. I'm not, I'm, I'm just not seeing what what the case is for him to get in and where he gets from here to 50.1. Well, you know, when I, when I heard the show last week, I actually started penning a response on the uh, the Kittleman Ball question, but then like, I, I'll come in anyway, and uh, <laughs> that way I can just avoid getting carpal tunnel. But um, <laughs> I think the key, you know, and, I, and I've seen folks talk about, oh, we've got, you know, X number of Democratic voters that are new to the county, X number of Republicans, it's a gap of 10,000, whatever. Um, here, here's what I think. And I, I've taken a look at the, at the history of voting in the off-presidential elections in Howard County since 2002. Uh, Number one, turnout was relatively high in 2018, which I think was largely a reaction to Democrats turning out in force uh, against uh, any, any Trumpists they could find. 
I expect turnout to be lower in 2022, probably closer to 60% as opposed to 67%. And I can still make the math work for a Kittleman victory. Uh, I've actually laid out <laughs> exactly what messaging could lead to a Kittleman victory, which I will not share at this moment out of kindness to my friends. Uh, but if you just take a look at the percentages, if, if the Kittleman campaign gets 60% of the uh, unaffiliated vote, which I believe they will, if they get 92% of the Republican vote, which is a bit of a push, but I still think it's with a realm of possibility given how hardcore the Republican base is these days. And I wanna say I had, uh, I can't recall the percentage I had for the Democrats. It might've been, oh, you know what? I had 25% uh, of the Democrats uh, voting Republican, which is definitely not out of the question at all, because there's a number of, of, of Democrats whose name I can cite uh, that are uh, have indicated varying levels of displeasure against either Calvin Ball, or they go off on some nonsense about ID politics or what have you. But uh, there's a number of Democrats who I just don't think will 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 vote the party line in 2022. And then you've got some folks on the left who seem rather disenamored of the county executive uh, for whatever reason. And you occasionally see their, their some cut and paste post of that effect every so often with, a, with such stirring taglines. Uh, so I, I think there'll be a certain amount of disaffection uh, from the democratic base, larger than there was last time. I don't expect Ball to do as well uh, than he did his first time around. Mm -hmm. So if, you know, with 26 to 27% of the democratic vote, along with the other percentages I gave, Kittleman can win this. It'll be close. It'll be like 50.05. But I think Kittleman still has a legit shot. And and this is along the lines of where I wound up in our last episode. And, and this is, again, the history of electoral politics for the county executive in Howard County, at least the last two elections. And, and going back also to the 1990 election, where it was uh, Ecker over Bobo. If you find enough people who don't like the other person and you put them all together, um, you can find, and to use a term from the last segment, a coalition of the willing to get yourself over the top. And I have to say, the Republicans are better at it in this county than the Democrats are. And I'm saying that as a longtime Democrat activist, Yes, the last time I was on the Central Committee was 10 years ago. Y'all out there still love to say I'm a tool of the Democratic Party. Fine. You know what? I'll wear that shirt for a while. But I'm going to also say this. You know, the, the Republicans counted the votes to get Chuck Ecker over Liz Bobo. They counted the votes to get uh, Courtney Watt, uh, to get Alan Kittleman over Courtney Watson. And they'll do it again. So now what tactics are we going to see? We're going to see, to Jason's point, depressing the vote. Steve, I hate to tell you this, but the possibility of a Republican candidate in your beloved County Council District 3 just went down to about 2% because when Alan Kittleman announced that he's running, because more District 13 votes, which means Council District 3, which means Democrat votes are bad for his chances of success. What it might mean is that you might not see a serious Republican challenger emerge in the District 1 race um, because increasing the number of votes 
in in one which already has a contested primary election will again hurt a republican candidate getting elected county executive and it will probably mean very small chance of a serious Republican candidate in District 2. What, what, the, what does this all sound like? Pretty much, except for the District 1 thing, a replay of the 2014 election. So to Jason's point, I think the game board tries to be set at 2014 conditions as much as possible, and then to, to, to account for that delta of shifts in numbers of registered voters, et cetera, et cetera, then this is where the Alan Kittleman goes and courts the groups like the Indian American Cultural Association, the Chinese Parents Association, the Howard County Neighbors United, or you know whatever they're calling themselves now, the Families for Education Improvement, all the people who have axes to grind many of whom are registered Democrats. And so, Jason, you added a, you put in another facet to this that um, I have to admit, I had forgotten about, but I also see it coming, which is there is a, you know, that certain amount of people who are on the left who are unhappy with the current administration because of whatever, body cameras, ICE contract, um, you know, just, you know, uh, d- d- you know, just, you know, whatever, just whatever fuels their misanthropy. Uh, I'm not sure how large a, 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 uh, a, a impact that'll have, but I will also note a lot of those people also live in the southern and southeastern parts of Howard County and also are going to work. Also, they're even sitting it out is going to work to depress turnout and depress uh, enthusiasm in this campaign. So on the Democratic side, how do you get out of that? Turnout, turnout, turnout. If the Democratic, you know, and how many times have we heard this before in politics, gentlemen? If the Democrats get their voters out, the Democrats win. Uh, Not so, you know, so, I would suggest, and, and I will also refrain from possible Republican messaging, although, although Jason, I, I bet you that a lot of what you're thinking and I'm thinking and what Steve might be thinking would probably be along similar lines. But I would suggest that for Democratic messaging, uh, the focus is on, is on uh, good things done and good things that are yet to come. And on the promise of what the next four years can be, to build upon this, um, you know, every single thing is going to be a wedge. Every single thing will be a wedge in this campaign. I noticed that in the county council's agenda last week, there was something certifying that the Howard County government would be a member of a uh, of an organization that looks at racism in local governments. Oh my God! You know, I mean, I'm not saying that we shouldn't do that. We should do that. In fact but that's going to be a wedge issue. And I, I frankly, I foresee probably the ugliest local election I've ever saw. And I thought the 2014 county executive election was ugly. I don't think I've seen nothing yet and I'm not happy to say that. Uh, great, great point. 
So is that, is that me? Is that, is that you, Steve? No, that was you. Okay, all right. <laughs> Sorry, part of the feedback. Um, no, I just wanted to say, and, and the thing with Kittleman, too, is that he can run above the fray to a, to a large extent. And he, he wins regardless of whether he's got a, a primary challenge, which actually works for him from a triangulation perspective. See, I'm not as bad as X. Or he's unopposed and then he can, you know, have his resources, uh, you know, conserved, you know, for the general election. But uh, um, you mentioned uh, one particular Facebook organization or group, which sort of brought to mind, uh, there was this book we used to read in policy class back in James Madison College in the early 90s. It was called Friendly Fascism, hmm. which is sort of how they thought fascism would come to America, sort of, you know, the smile and the flag and all that. I mean, one particular group I can think of is more along the lines of miserable prick fascism. But, uh, but I don't want to get into name calling because heaven forbid we do uh, policy or well, the side of policy with uh, mostly insults. Uh, but um, <clears throat> I mean, you know, having charted and Bill, you're right. I mean, I literally sat down this weekend. I was bored. I had 10 minutes. I wrote down what are the Republicans going to do run against Ball in, in this next cycle, current cycle, but next year. And uh, it, it's the only way to win is, 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 is to do nasty. And, uh, and, you know, I'm not betraying any trade secrets here, but I mean, that's, if you want to, if you want to depress turnout, if you want to frame the issue in a way that uh, whistles every dog whistle, you can do it. And Kittleman can, you know, try to stay a step aside of that. I still think he's going to get splattered with mud if he does do it. Uh, but and which is one of the reasons why, I mean, I don't know, I, I was, I was present in the hall in 2018 when he came over to, uh, to shake hands with, uh, Dr. Ball. And my first thought was, well, this begins the 2022 campaign. <laughs> you know, this is, this is the continuation of the nice guy brand, which I think to a certain extent is horseshit. Uh, but nonetheless, it's, uh, the, it, it will be a very, uh, it'll be an ugly race. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, and, and I would agree. And, and if you if you watched his uh, you know former county executive Kittleman's announcement, um, interesting, interestingly enough, he did not mention Dr. Ball by name. He never uttered the words Calvin Ball. I don't even think he said the words county executive, except for to mention the office that he was running for. Um, it, it definitely is a sharper message than say Dr. Ball's was in 2018. I remember being at that announcement and he even took time out to say you know alan kittleman is a good man i mean so he said uh then county executive kittleman you know he called him out by name and say hey basically dr ball's message was he's a nice guy he loves this county but we could do better um i did not see that in alan kittleman's speech it basically was you know this guy wanted he effed everything up i mean there was a lot of you know it, we're now more divisive and he 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 called out elegate city he called out schools and he again he basically just said this guy effed it up and he needs to go so definitely sharper elbows even if they're softened up by the kittleman nice guy veneer which i'm with jason on that one um it, it'll be interesting to see if he can sail enough above the freight and not get mud um especially if the Republican gubernatorial candidate happens to be Mr. Cox, as opposed to Ms. Schultz. Um, you know, we, we know where he stands and, you know, message to Dems, he needs to be answering for his party every day, every step of the way, you know, that this, I'm not them. No, you're carrying the banner. So you're either going to throw, throw your peeps under the bus, including our friends out in West County, or you're not, and you're going to get called on it. You know, that's, this is where I think Dems, cannot be nice about it to say, oh, you know, Alan's a, no, no, no. 
you got to get after well, people. Well, I'm going to close with a few points. So I mentioned the, the 90s, you know, and, and who gives a crap about the 90s? I'm sure there's people out there saying, you're talking about the 90s, Bell. Okay. <laughs> 90s <are> awesome. <laughs> First off, there was good music. Secondly, <laughs> who was the head of the Howard County Republican Party all through the 90s? Alan Kittleman. <clears throat> so he's the guy who got himself elected to the council. Well, big whoop that was uh, in 98. But before that, um, you know, engineered the upset of Liz Bobo. And then also four years later, oversaw the only election where the Republicans have ever held a majority on the Howard County Council and then also hold the, held the executive. So they definitely know how to win elections. Steve, at the last episode, we talked about, you know, what would a Kittleman run for county executive represent? And I think now we know the answer. This is the last ride. You know, and and I don't know. I don't know if the county charter will allow like if, if, if for some reason he gets elected in 22 and he run for two terms or can he run for one term? I actually think he could serve for two. I think the limit is two consecutive terms, yeah. uh, in which case Allman Kittleman 26. Wouldn't that be fun? Um, but but um, oh, <laughs> Jason, I just think I may have sent Jason out. Uh, I hope not. But, uh, Too many but, sequels. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but 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 this is that whole crew. I mean, this is this is Alan Kittleman. This is Bob Flanagan. This is you know Dennis Schrader's going to be you know the Maryland Health Secretary, but he's still here. Uh, you know, this is this is that whole cast of characters. You know, the Warren Miller, Gail Bates. You know, the whole bunch of them, you know, and then the new ones, the new, you know, the Dave Youngmans, the Chris Oxenhams, all of these people who many of whom have engineered and sponsored and supported some of these divisive, racist, hateful events that we have seen over the past four years. And there's going to be more to come. And so absolutely to hold their feet in the fire is the thing. And the problem is that why now is different over than the 1990s and the Democrats advantage is that you can't hide behind a veneer anymore. Uh, to your point, Jason, there is a whole lot of veneer to this Kittleman brand. It is not proven independent leader. It is, it is backbenching, it is backstabbing, it is, it is falsehood after falsehood after falsehood. And what happened in 2014 were that too many people, well, frankly, too many people didn't like the Democratic nominee for whatever reason. I still, I think there is a good bit of misogyny there, you know, plus people were willing to look the other way at all of these other things. Uh-uh. The Republican brand, uh you know, has in this in this county and in this state for whom the Kittleman family is largely responsible for creating, the Republican brand in this county and state is all about being that 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 guy at the bottom of a pile and a fumble, you know, cussing the ball carrier for, you know, punching him below below the belt, 
gouge in his eye, calling, calling his wife a prostitute, saying every single dirty thing in the book and doing everything about it just to get the damn football. And then when the pile separates and the running back pushes the lineman, then the flag gets thrown and the guy who got offended gets the 15-yard penalty. That's what they do. That's who they are. So our job as Democrats, to some extent, to some extent, mostly it's going to be about you know, let's get out there and win. But part of it's also going to be pointing to that and pointing to saying they're the responsible ones. They're the ones who have filthed up politics on every level in this country, you know, and, and as insofar as it starts at home, these guys are responsible by walking away and saying, oh, shucks, I'm a nice guy when you have the power to make a statement and do something to change it, you are liable. And that is a thing that for his 25 years of, of, of public service, Alan Kittleman has done. He has at every single corner when he could actually step up and make a difference, he's chosen not to do so. You know, when, when there's a low risk proposition, like, oh, I support gay marriage, you know, okay, he can say that when there's no political fat on the line for him, none. Otherwise, otherwise, there's not a lot of courage there. I was going to use other stronger words, but, you know, that other thing. <laughs> gotcha. And, and, and just one, one more stat. Uh, when Kittleman won, he won when Turner was only 54.3%. So, you know, if, if, if he tries to run that race again, which why not? That was a good template for running the kind of race. <laughs> Democratic president, midterm election. Um, you know, wh why not go have your operatives run as mean as possible? Yeah, well, they've all had practice over the past four years. <laughs> yep. So, so, so I, I don't know about you guys, but I feel like we have done good work on a Sunday morning. And I do believe that we have all taken the advice of our senior advisor to the Forward Maryland podcast, Malcolm McDowell, when he said, do you talk about roads and, and bridges? I, I tend to think that would be rather boring. <laughs> I got enough. I, I, got enough. <laughs> I was trying to remember, the, the, what was the Eagle song, Seven Bridges Road? We could talk about that, that'd be interesting. We could talk about that, but we haven't talked about roads and bridges. I mean, we have on occasion talked about roads and bridges. Yeah. I mean, I I I I I loved our I loved our our our, our cameo endorsement by Malcolm McDowell. You know, I you know it, it was it was it was a little unclear to me if he's ever actually been to the state of Maryland, but you know, I, I will say that I I appreciated his knowledge and and his imprimatur nonetheless. His pronunciation of Maryland was just so just, you know, such a, such a premature that he stamped upon that word. So kudos well, to that. Should we change? Should we change it to forward Maryland? <laughs> and should, should we get like a, like, a, you know, like a font that looks like we're signing the Declaration of Independence for a logo and such? But there then people might think might think we're coming from the other from the other side. Yeah, and, and we could have a lovely conversation about Ellicott City, which, you know. <laughs> Hello, Gordon Ramsay, I'm talking to you. Um, oh, God. 
Stop. Stop. Those, 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 that one restaurant, that poor guy. I'm sorry. I, I, I liked the one that, the one that closed after he was on that show. I liked that one. And I liked that guy, Jeff. Yeah. He was a good dude. I don't yeah. think that Jackson Edwin place should have closed. I liked him. I like Jeff. I like the other the places are the other places are fine, but I like Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> Jason, welcome back, sir. I hope you enjoyed it. Absolutely glad to be back. And uh, and what's the mortal lock for the day? Oh, are we are we prognosticating for the NFL? Okay, I didn't know we were doing that. Uh, I, I am like, going to like Houston in three points. That's a good one. What What do you have? I, I like Houston. It's uh, Jacksonville minus three. So I'm, I'm liking that one. How about you? Wait a minute. You're picking Houston over Jacksonville. Yep. Oh. Um, a bold choice for the day. All right. Uh, I'm going to go. Well, I'm, I'm going to tick off uh, maybe some of the local fans. And I'm going to go Chargers over the football team. Oh. In, in, in Landover at one o'clock. <laughs> you know, I, I I like that Houston pick that, that Jason goes with because, look, you know, the Jacksonville Jaguars are last year's team plus Trevor Lawrence. And we know how last year's team did. So, you know, they're already down there who was going to be their, their number one running back. And, you know, Houston – they're still a good football team. I mean, yes, we, we have the whole Deshaun Watson quarterback situation, but everything else is still there. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, it, it, it is less it is less about Houston than it is about Jacksonville, who is, you know, one quarterback removed from the team that was god-awful last year. So, yeah, well, well, Houston also has a new head coach, yeah. which, which that might that might factor into it, but but I, I'm going to, I'm going to go, I mean, well, I'm still going to stick to chargers over football team, but I'm also going to go and see, I was going to call 49ers bears, but I'm our 49ers lions, but I'm being nice, but I am, I am, I am going uh, Rams big over the bears tonight. That makes sense. And thank you for your kindness regarding uh, the lions. We know what's going to happen. It, it could be a long season. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It could be a long season in Baltimore too, because yeah, we're we're about two steps away from from um, I don't know my son being called in to play running back. <laughs> yeah, talk about a mash unit. I mean, my God, they are um, they they are hurting. I mean, when you when you're counting on Latavius Murray and Le'Veon Bell to carry the rock. And an undrafted free agent. Um, although I like Tyson Williams, he he looked great in preseason. But there have been a lot of guys who are at camp uh, and preseason studs who, when the lights come on, are not so good. So yeah, well, well, the Ravens um, have done better with less. But I'm I'm more worried about who's next. Yeah, who's who's the next one to drop? Because we've had some receivers hurt. Um, you know, our number two tight end is still on uh, pup. So. Shoot, yep. who, who's the who's the who's the next one to get hurt? I mean, yeah. something happens to number eight. I, I think you know it'll you know it'll be like being an O's fan this year, just hoping we can get a better draft pick. Yeah. By the way, my my fantasy football advice is if you could get Justin Tucker, get him because I think there's going to be a lot of 
uh, drives that are stalled at the 30-yard line, and he's going to be uh, booting a lot of field goals. Yeah. Now, normally the number one or number two kicker take him, at least yeah. in the three drafts I was in. So. Well, his range is the stadium, so, you know. <laughs> You mean, you mean like from like the 500 seat level seats? I was thinking the parking like, lot, It's man. like the Michael Jordan, Larry Bird <laughs> commercials. Yes. <laughs> you know, he's like, you know, Steph Curry or, or Damian Lillard. Oh, I'm at half court. That's good. <laughs> well, 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 thank you, gentlemen, uh, for joining us today. And thank you in listener and or viewer land for joining us. You have watched, been watching or listening to another edition of Forward Maryland. Have a great rest of your weekend and a great start to your week. Take care, everybody.